Welcome to episode four of the Roots of Alternative podcast. My name is Jack, joined by Dixon. How are you doing, my friend? I'm fantastic. How are you? So good. Dixon, I am so excited for this episode because like, there are so many songs, that uh, several of them that I, I know, um, you know, which I guess I shouldn't... I should be surprised at that I actually know a lot of these songs, but um, there's uh, several others in here that I don't really know, but I'm just so excited because there's so many great songs in 1983. 1983 was a banner year for the new wave movement for sure. So um, first of all, a couple housekeeping things, just as always, uh, you can get this week's playlist uh, from our website, 95x.com slash roots of alternative. And that is where you can find all of our other past episodes as well. Um, we started in 1980. If you're new to this podcast, we started in 1980. We're working all the way up to uh, our current year, which is 2020, and taking a look at the biggest alternative songs from each year. And uh, I'm going to be learning a lot along the way. Dixon is kind of my guide because a lot of this, a lot of these songs, I don't know because I was kind of under a rock when I was younger. But Dixon, you lived through this, so um, you know we're going to be talking on 1983 today. Um, you can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and several other places as well. Just check 95x.com slash roots of alternative for more information. Um, all and right. A quick so, disclaimer. Yes. A quick disclaimer. We make no guarantees that there will be episodes that go all the way through 2020 based on the already happened events of 2020. Who knows what's next? So we're going to attempt to get to these 40 weeks, but in 2020, who knows? That, that is a very good point because 2020. I just want to be held accountable if this year, dogs us out any more than it already has <laughs> well there's still what there's five months left of the year so anything can happen so some historical facts this is something that we want to do uh, that we started doing with uh, each year is taking a look at some major historical events that happened during the year because a lot of music uh, is based on what's happening in the world um, based on a lot of current events. So Dixon, because you, my friend, lived through those years, what happened in 1983? Uh, let's see. As a country, uh, the U.S. invaded Grenada, or Grenada, however you want to say it. it. It really depends on which coast you live on, I believe. Uh, China's population reached one billion for the first time in history, and the space shuttle Challenger uh, actually deployed two satellites, and it marked the first U.S. woman in space Miss Sally Ride. Uh, here at home, central New York, over towards the Adirondacks, on October 7th, there was a 5.2 on the Richter scale earthquake in central upstate New York, October 7th, 1983. Wow, I didn't know that. Like, could it be felt throughout the state, or yes. could you only feel it when you're up there? Did you uh, feel it? Not so much downstate. I don't remember. I was in the fourth grade, man. Like, I was probably in the lunchroom or something like trading baseball cards or who knows. Is, but no, right. I, I, I remember, I remember hearing about it growing up, but I don't remember it actually happening. Gotcha. This is crazy because, you know, by the way, if you're not familiar, we are uh, doing this podcast from Syracuse, New York um, in the Northeast. If you're from Syracuse, obviously you know where that is because you live here, but because of the powers of the internet, you may be listening from another part of the world. We don't really get, Earth, uh, earthquakes in upstate New York, 
even though we are kind of right on a major fault line, but everybody, I've met people who have felt earthquakes in this area and I've always wanted to feel one. Even when I lived in California for a year, I didn't feel earthquakes. Maybe sooner or later I will, but it's probably going to be the big one when I actually do feel an earthquake. <laughs> Don't jinx us, Jack. I know. Well, you're toying, look, you're toying with 2020 now. All right. So the last thing I want to bring up for 1983, because this was my favorite thing in 1983, HBO launched its very first original series. They collaborated with none other than Jim Henson to bring us the debut of Fraggle Rock, which in my opinion is hands down his greatest work, a great introduction on HBO. And uh, again, I'll put this out there. I think it has the best intro song in the history of television. Okay. I know who Jim Henson is because I did watch the Muppets when I was a kid, but I have no idea what Fraggle Rock is. Are you serious? <laughs> I thought we you were, were going to do this. We, I thought serious? we said you were this three is... years old when this dropped. How did your parents not drop you in front of the TV for this? This was like a monumental event back in the day. Uh, I thought we agreed this was going to be a safe space. Come on, man. It is a safe space, but this is, this would be like saying, like, if you were born in the early 2000s, not having an awareness of Barney. Oh, Bar like, Barney, that was my thing when I was a kid. I never watched Fraggle Rock. Really? That's your homework assignment. I want you to go <laughs> or with your wife and get season one of Fraggle Rock and enjoy it. I promise you, even as an adult, you will love it. All right. I'm writing it down. Fraggle. Fraggle Rock. Like fragile? And like spelled like F -R -A -G -G -L -E, fragile? F-R-A-G-G-L-E. Fraggle. Fraggle. Fraggle Rock. And they announced earlier this year they are making an updated new version of Fraggle Rock uh, that should see the light of day in early 2021. So hmm. full circle. Well, I guess it's good timing for me to check it out. Absolutely. Um, so I did a little checking on some things in 1983 as well. And this is, the, I'd say this one is pretty huge. The very first Mario Brothers game came out in 1983, um, which, you know, that is a classic game. I know that game. I may not know what Fraggle Rock is, but I know what Mario is. I am going to say this though, Jack, that Nintendo game that came out in 1983 was not a console. It was a standalone arcade game and it was only in Japan. The uh... Nintendo that you speak of made its way to America in 1985. But yes, the Japanese did have Nintendo in their arcades in 1983. All this cool stuff starts in Japan. We talked about the first CD player last week, I think it was, that started in, in Japan. But it took several years to get to the U.S. Interesting. Last couple things that I found, uh, if you're interested, the price of a home was about $70,000. Average income per year was about $21,000. And a gallon of gas was a dollar sixteen. All right, so at this time, let's head back to 1983 and check out the songs from our list from the year 1983. This is the deepest list we've had of just amazing artists and absolutely legendary songs. Uh, three of my top ten favorite bands of all time are on this list today. One of my favorite underrated songs of all time is on the list today. Uh, and so much influence in the music you hear today comes from a lot of stuff that was very popular back in 1983. 
I would concur with that, Dixon. I mean, um, you know, obviously with this whole podcast, I'm, I'm, you're schooling me on a lot of this music, but a lot of this music on this playlist, uh, even I know. Um, and I, I'm super excited to dive into all of these. I've got a ton that I wrote down that were some of my favorites, and many of them I haven't even heard before. But why don't we start with what you would say, uh, based on this list, was the biggest song of 1983. See, that's a tough call. Um, I mean, if you're talking the biggest, you've probably got to go with The Police. Um, mm. Synchronicity came out in 1983. Uh, it stayed at the top of both the U.S. and U.K. Billboard Hot Singles chart uh, with every breath you take for a number of weeks. Uh, nine in the U.K., 11 in the States. It had numerous singles off of it. It won five Grammy Awards. Uh, and it was Rolling Stone's most critically acclaimed album and song of that year. And it really launched the police off into being the biggest band in the world, not artists, but actual band in the world. I need to stop you for one second. Do you, don't you mean Scrantonicity? Uh, <laughs> we call you Kevin now. <laughs> I actually just made the connection because I never, I didn't even know, like I, I know who the police are and I know, you know, several of their songs. I had no idea that the whole Scrantonicity thing, if you're a fan of The Office, this is an Office reference. I had no idea that the Scrantonicity name was a play off of that album. No clue. I just made the connection. Wow. That, that's what I'm not this, judging you. I'm not judging you. Better you. not be judging me because we made an agreement here that this is a safe space. So, so the police, the police. It was this when they kind of made their breakthrough in 1983. Uh, at this point, they'd spent a couple of years touring the states. In fact, uh, having played uh, an old Syracuse club up towards the Eshoo Hill called Jabberwocky, uh, a little <laughs> bit before they really blew up. Uh, they were a, a, a great British band that did a lot of legwork in the States and really put the work in. And I think had they not done the work of touring and visiting radio stations and doing the thing that's lacking in today's industry, which is making those personal connections at radio, uh, that was a, a great foundation for them to release what I consider to be one of the greatest rock albums, one of the greatest alternative albums, period, of all time, Synchronicity. Hmm. Um, now I had, a, I had a couple on here that I I'd love to share with you and kind of get your thoughts on before I kind of dive into the songs that I loved like a lot that really stood out to me. And a lot of these are very popular songs. One of them that just seemed so different was a song called Buffalo Gals by Malcolm McLaren. And right off the bat, it, I kind of felt like I was listening to some early nineties hip hop. So that song, uh, it had like a, in the beginning, it had the same sampling that Eminem had used in a song without me. Um, obviously right. later on. Uh, but I thought that was a great song and really kind of stood out to me as something that was different. Yeah. I mean, uh, Malcolm McLaren had a backing band uh, called the world's famous Supreme team. Uh, this came from their 83 album, Duck Rock. And this was kind of a precursor, in my opinion, more to of like a Cotton Eye Joe, because you were getting hip hop album scratching in there, but you were also getting like these weird square dance elements that would pop up here and there. And I think that there can be a line that gets drawn specifically from this track to 
Rednecks and Cotton Eyed Joe in the 90s. Um, not one of my favorite songs of the year, Jack, I'm going to be honest with you. Really? Really? Yeah. I didn't like it at the time. Uh, it, I mean, I don't know. When you look back on the lineage of hip-hop and the way it's bled into alternative music in today's day and age, uh, it did happen back then as well. Uh, this just wasn't really my thing. I was much more uh, into like the, the New York City like straight style of what was at the time just considered rap music. Hmm. Yeah, that, and that's Master Flash and the Furious Five. You know what I mean? Like all that early stuff really had a very specific sound to me. And while this was cool, I think they may have been just a few years ahead of their time. I mean, had this come out in the late '80s when bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Faith No More were out there doing sort of this off-time, sort of uh, suburban funk-esque sort of thing, it might have had a little bit more longevity. But it was very far ahead of its time, I'll give you that. And I do want to make a, a quick, um, I don't know, the way the world works, I guess, uh, whether it, it's fate or coincidence or however things work out, you and I both talked to uh, a common friend that I don't know that you know we have, Stephen Douglas Wolf. Oh, yeah. Um, Great guy. So Steve, Steve hit me up, said, hey, I've been listening to the podcast. I really dig it. How are you all the way to 1983, and you have yet to mention Elvis Costello? And guess who popped up this week? Elvis the Costello. Elvis Costello. That's right. Uh, the single is called Every Day I Write the Book. It came from the album Punch the Clock. Uh, this was Elvis Costello um, kind of stepping into the time period or leaning into the time period. Uh, he, he's timeless. I mean, the, the songs of Elvis Costello, regardless of which era you're talking about, if you take the, the sound of the time away from them and then work them into the sound of the current time, they still work. And it's because he's just such a masterful songwriter. Uh, one of my absolute favorite Elvis Costello things that he's done has been the basement tapes, the new basement tapes, which was a documentary filmed about 10 years ago that featured Elvis Costello, uh, Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons, the kid from Dawes, um, Jim James from My Morning Jacket was involved. T-Bone Burnett was uh, put in charge to be producer. And essentially at an auction, somebody bought a bunch of Bob Dylan lyrics from the time period in which uh, he was living in the Catskills and working with the band. So they took these lyrics and then hired these musicians, stuck them all in a studio for a few weeks. And there were some other people involved as well. As There was this wonderful young girl who has a, an act called the, the Soft Chocolate Drops that was amazing. And they all sort of worked on these songs together and individually. And the documentary is amazing. It's amazing to get the insight into watching uh, how Elvis – really championed his role as the senior guy in the room to mentor these up and coming songwriters who in their own right are fantastic and absolutely talented. But to see how much respect guys like Marcus Mumford and Jim James pay to a guy like Elvis Costello, who you might not see a line to speaks volumes about how much and how far reaching Elvis Costello's career has been over the 40 plus years that he's been enjoying success. 
All right. So there were, like we keep saying, there's so many on this list. Uh, I want to go through just a few of these real quick before we get to you two, because there's definitely some really, really uh, great U2 tunes on this list. And of course, me being a huge fan, I'll save those for a little bit later. Um, but a few on here that I really love that were huge in 1983, Rebel Yell by Billy Idol, um, Mad World by Tears for Fears, and I can't say this without actually like wanting to hum it in my head. Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. Three absolute great songs, very well-known songs that even I know. Well, here's the thing. 1983 was a big, big, big year for Culture Club and uh, especially Boy George. And this was a groundbreaking thing, in my opinion. Uh, I remember being 10 in the discomfort that Boy George caused uh, amongst uh, Americans at that point being, uh, I don't want to necessarily say transgender, but I think that was a lot of Americans' first experience with a very feminine man being in uh, such a prominent role um, in, in unabashedly so. So for me, I remember like, uh, you know, 10-year-old boys being 10-year-old boys. Like if somebody called you Boy George, that wasn't a compliment. You know what I mean? So the mm -hmm. fact that they were uh, sort of a predecessor to political things to come in regards to equality, um, I, I give them a lot of credit. And they had a banner year, uh, you know, with Karma Chameleon and then following it up with I'll Tumble For You and Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? I mean, the catalog is endless. Uh, even people that weren't alive at the time, you can picture Boy George in your head. He was that much mm -hmm. of a cultural phenomenon. Uh, the impact that Culture Club made, I think, was a lasting one. Um, maybe not necessarily for the legacy of the band, because there wasn't much after this first EP and full album. Um, but I do think they were very important for the year 1983 and for the momentum moving forward for the acceptance of truly alternative things in alternative music. Well, another name that comes to mind uh, along that same uh like vain is david bowie and he had another big song that year of let's dance which i loved uh it's got a great beat to that song um and it's got that well you know echoey... why do you know why you know why it has that great beat sir why is that produced by nile rogers of chic so like this was this was uh a disco song in uh in a way that like where disco was still accepted i mean you gotta remember that disco kind of died out from 79 to about 81 so we're a couple of years into the the huge decline of disco and bowie essentially puts out his version of disco much the way kiss did um but not in such an obvious manner and the uh, the artistry and with with which david bowie crafted this song with now and then just kind of slipped it out there in a world that didn't want disco anymore and gave them disco and they bought it and they loved it. And it was that's, amazing. Sorry. That's so strange to me because honestly, listening to that, I don't I, like, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that it's so heavily influenced by disco because I don't really hear disco in that song. And maybe that, maybe that's just because I grew up, you know, alternative music now has a lot of disco type influence in it. And maybe I'm just right. used to it. Well, I think also people your age don't have the depth 
of knowledge on disco and probably just assume it's the stuff that you still hear on like adult contemporary radio and it focuses around the Bee Gees. But there was a huge part of the disco movement within the African American community uh, where it was the predecessor to today's like club and dance music that mm. still relied very heavily on that 4-4 with that very specific open hi-hat sound that lends itself to making things feel like disco. Uh, the baseline to the song is 100% a disco baseline, but it's the addition of the, the time signatures and Bowie's vocal approach that take your head away from that disco thing and put it into like this new wave package. And this is where almost, I would say the, the, the true movement of post disco started, uh, which was sort of, I mean, I don't want to say it was specific to the UK, but it was definitely something that had uh, a lot more popularity there. Well, another part of that song that I liked, it had elements of that echoey sounding guitar riff that I love. And that's something that I hear a lot of in, in U2 and uh, you know several other bands as we creep towards uh, modern day. Um, I, I heard a lot of elements in that song um, of that as well. And I, I really loved it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the other single that we should mention from David Bowie this year uh, is, is a big one. It's China Girl, which uh, has, has been covered by a, a lot of bands from the early 2000s for some strange reason. But uh, again, it was a song that tackled, um, you know, like the, I mean, the early 80s, you have to remember, are still on the heels of Vietnam. So there were still some very ugly thoughts about Asian Americans in America. So for David Bowie to profess his love for an Asian woman in song and thus make it a hit and bring more of that true American thing of being all accepting was very important. And given the fact that he's a UK artist doing that for America is an even bigger nod to him uh, for being so aware of where his audience was and taking a, a subtle political stance for the time. I want to go back to one thing that you said a moment ago about how it's a new wave sound. I don't know why in my, so when I think of new wave, the first song that comes to mind is a, a flock of seagulls that we talked about last week. I ran. Right. So I don't know, maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm missing it on this this week, uh, this week's playlist. But listening through, I didn't really hear that kind of new wave sound. So is there, are there multiple? It's evolving. It, okay. At this All point, right. it's evolving. Um, In what way? So, um, in, a, in a couple of different ways. Uh, I mean, I, I think it, it went one way with New Order and Blue Monday, where it, it stayed very true but added some depth in, uh, in a way that took away from the vapidness of some of the earlier new wave. Uh, but then I also think that it went in like an adult contemporary sort of direction with things like Spandau Ballet and that song True. And then you also had the Thompson Twins that were essentially a new wave act, but did a, a ballad called Lies that, that leaned into that adult contemporary listener of that time so there there's distinctly i mean like anything else i mean 
anytime a new thing is created within the world of music, you then start getting the subgenres under it. I mean, think about like the early 2000s because that's your formative years. Everything mm -hmm. had cores, hardcore, metalcore, noisecore. This it, at the same time is you're seeing different forms of new wave start to break off. And it might not necessarily be new wave at its core, but you can definitely tell that there's an inspiration from that movement. Yeah, it's really amazing to, to see. I mean, part of the, the whole reason we're doing this podcast is to see how the music has evolved. We're only three years in to the 1980s and in three short Technically years. four. Well, four years, yeah. So we're four years into it and we've already seen how much it has changed. And now we're starting to see that new wave start to evolve. Another big song, not necessarily one of my favorites, but another big song from the year that I recognized was Red Red Wine by UB40. Um, wow. You know, Covered by UB40. I did not know that. Yeah, okay. So here you go, <laughs> bud. Uh, Red Red Wine was originally a Neil Diamond song back in 1967. It was on his second album, uh, which was called Just For You. And uh, obviously the lyrics are sung from the perspective of a person who finds that they're drinking red wine. It's the only way to forget your woes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so Neil Diamond kind of ran into some industry stuff at that time where he had some label stuff. The song never really made it as a single for Neil Diamond. Uh, it was covered not that much later by a Dutch singer named Peter Tedderu from the band T-Set, uh, which was a, a big band in the UK and overseas, but never really made uh, much noise here. Uh, and that was in 69. Uh, then 1983 rolled around and UB40 recorded their version of it, uh, which is essentially kind of like a, a reggae light yeah. sort of thing. And then in a full form of evolution in 1996, uh, Neil Diamond recorded his version of UB40's version of his original song, Red Red Wine. And it's still being used to this day in commercials because yep. I hear it every day. We've had a lot of songs. Oh, you Red Red Wine? Yeah, right, yeah. Well, we've heard a lot of songs in the last three years uh, of this journey that have been in, uh, that are still in commercials to this day. Um, yeah. Now, there's one song that also came out this year that I don't think is a cover, but I know was covered by Adam Lambert during his run on American Idol, and that was uh, Mad World by Tears for Fears. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't had no idea that song even existed until he sang it on American Idol. And I still think that he did a better job doing that performance than the original. I mean... That that's that's a that's a I don't want to say blasphemous statement, but here's the thing: Adam Lambert had a different approach on it, and I'll give him all the credit in the world for doing a spectacular version of it. But Tears for Fears had a very specific thing that they did, and it's really tough to kind of like put your finger on what made them as special as it was. And I've tried for years to do that, but. Uh, and I still have no conclusion as to why Tears for Fears is as amazing as they are. Uh, they don't sound like anything else that I like, but for some reason I love them and a lot of bands that I truly adore cite them as inspiration. So it does make sense in, in, in that way. Um, these guys wrote Mad World as sort of a response to Duran Duran's Girls on Film. 
Um, hmm. It was one of those things where uh, there was a little bit of an unspoken competition between Tears for Fears and Duran Duran. Just, I think essentially more so probably with their management and labels more so than actually between the bands. <clears throat> but these guys were pushed towards making a new wave-ish sound, and this is what they came up with. Hmm. I mean, obviously, I mean, I prefer their stuff that's more along the lines of Shout uh, or, you know, songs from the big chair. Um, but again, a, a great timeless song here. So I guess I won't necessarily say that he did a better job than them. He reimagined it in his own way, and I thought it was very well done. So I don't want to offend anyone who's a huge Tears for Fears fan and put them down. Absolutely. And, and again, Adam Lambert, phenomenal vocalist. Loved the stuff he did with Queen. Uh, it's very rare that uh, a cover or a remake of a song, in my opinion, is better than the original. And we'll get to a couple of those over the course of this podcast, trust me. Hmm, interesting. So, so do you want to you geek out about U2 before I geek out about Duran Duran? Yeah, we might as well. Might as well. Uh, three really great songs. Now, this was the year that their album War came out. Um, and right off the bat, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, um, probably one of their biggest songs that they've ever done, um, talking about what was going on in Northern Ireland at this time. Um, and uh, it's, just, it's just such a great song. I just love it. Two other songs that they did, New Year's Day, which is one of my absolute favorites by them, and uh, another one that I guess was one of the biggest from that year, but I wouldn't put it as on my to the top of my favorites list, but it's still a good song. Two hearts beat as one. Uh, so three really great U2 songs uh, coming out that year that made it big. Now Jack geeked out a little bit about one of his favorite bands of all time, U2. I'm going to take the time now to do that about Duran Duran. Uh, the album I still Rio, am amazed that you're a huge Duran Duran fan, by the way. I love it. Now the album came out in 1982. But the single that I want to talk about today uh, came out in 1983, and that was Hungry Like the Wolf. Mm. Uh, the, the song that really broke them through, the, the title track was the first official single from the album, and I, I adore Rio. I, I love that song. But it was Hungry Like the Wolf that made such an impact and became that song that was everywhere. And if you want to draw a line from the present day to then, Duran Duran at that time was probably the Imagine Dragons of now, where mm. it was it, it was oversaturated at the time, man. They were everywhere. They were on every format. You couldn't get away from Duran Duran. They had throngs of teen girls that would, you know, cry like they were the Beatles. Same thing with Imagine Dragons now. Um, doesn't take away from how great the art was. It was wildly popular, and many of those songs are still being played on the radio to today. They're on all the playlists, they're in the movies, and there's a good reason for that. There's some of the greatest recorded songs of all time, in my opinion. Duran Duran just is that very specific thing that maybe Maroon 5 might be for this generation hmm. that balances the ability to be a real band while also being a pop artist and still doing what it is that you want to do unabashedly and unapologetically. Hmm. Interesting. I know. I, I, again, I Duran Duran, one of those bands I don't really know a ton about. Obviously I know some of their dive in, hits. bro. Dive yeah. in. But I'm, I'm just still amazed that you're 
a huge fan of them and I, I had no idea until we started this. Well, this one's probably going to take you by surprise then too, because one of my absolute favorite songs of all time is in a big country by the Scottish rock band, big country, which came out hmm. in 1983. Hmm. Uh, and this is one I'm sure you haven't heard. Uh, and if you do hear it, you'll probably recognize it because it's been used uh, all over the place for years and years and years in movies. Um, and it was covered uh, in 2014 by American authors with Mogwies, uh, which was not my favorite version of the song, but it does go to show you that it's still uh, making an impact in this day and age. Um, I really, really dig this tune. Zach Barnett has one of the biggest, most interesting voices of the time, literally one of the biggest and, and most unique voices of the time. And it's definitely one of the most underrated tracks, uh, not only of the 80s, but specifically of 1983, just because of how much other phenomenal music came out in that same time period. Hmm. Had this song come out a year earlier or a year later, it would be that anthemic thing that Duran Duran or the police are now. Maybe not with as many singles, but with that specific single. I want to talk a little bit about one hit wonders. Um, and not to say that I, I don't know if there are any on this list. I'm going to ask you that, but just looking through the biggest songs from 1983, there's a ton of artists that I don't think we really saw before names like David Bowie, uh, REM, which by the way, radio free Europe was one of my favorite songs on this list. Great song. Yeah. Um, there's well, also, we got into REM a little bit with the last podcast and Bowie did, we did. Up in 81 as well, but we knew that there was more to come. Yeah. And obviously we're seeing it this year. So like going down the list, just at a glance, I'm seeing a ton of U2, a ton of David Bowie, a lot of talking heads and more Depeche mode as well. So we're talking one hit wonders in the mainstream. Definitely Spandau Ballet with True. Uh, Thompson Twins had a couple of hits in there. Big Country, definitely a one-hit wonder. Uh, UB40, definitely a one-hit wonder. Another notable one from 1983 is Nina with 99 Luft Balloons, which was mm. covered in the late 90s by Real Big Fish. I'm sorry, no. Which was covered in the late 90s by Goldfinger uh, featuring... Um, wow, I'm reaching for his name. I'll just redo that whole part, which was covered uh, again in the late 90s by the ska band Goldfinger uh, and was also covered by a band I worked with very closely in Syracuse and was played at almost every show in the early years, a band called Sugar High with my dear friend Sean, who still plays with me to this day, uh, and my friend Kira as well. So that one uh, was probably the biggest one-hit wonder of the year. Uh, but there are two things that we haven't hit on that I think we should. And given that we're running short of time, uh, I think both of them 100% uh, bear mentioning. Uh, the first of which are the Eurythmics mm. with Sweet Dreams. Yeah, uh, not one of duo, my favorites, but I recognize how big it was. Huge tune, an even bigger hit for Marilyn Manson in the 90s. Uh, Annie Lennox is one of the absolute women that you need to pay attention to from that era. She definitely took the platform for female artists and did a lot for female artists uh, throughout that entire period. Uh, the song is in the Grammy Hall of Fame. It is ranked uh, in the top 300 songs of all time by Rolling Stone. And it definitely was a, a huge song, again, still used to this day in many, many uh, commercial applications and in movies. And the last one, 
that I need to mention because to me, they were a much more important band than they get credit for is the Violent Femmes, mm. who dropped their self-titled album in 1983, which spawned three big songs, the biggest of which obviously is Blister in the Sun, which we even still play on 95X. Um, so it, it's one of those things that like these guys 100% influence an entire generation. And I think are equally as responsible as the clash for the American punk rock scene where the violent femmes influence more of like the Midwest and a lot of bands that came after them. Um, they were very important for the early days of, in my opinion, what would be college rock that spanned into experiment and just doing whatever they wanted. I mean, without the Violent Femmes, I don't know that you would have had Sebado or Pavement or the Smoking Popes or a lot of the stuff that happened in the 90s in their wake. Uh, and just the fact that Blister in the Sun is one of the most iconic bass lines of all time, uh, they definitely warrant being uh, talked about today. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's... And, and added up and Kiss Off were, were phenomenal songs as well. That, that first album is a masterpiece. All right, well... 1983 again just a huge year for music um a lot of great stuff dixon you you taught me a lot today uh i know we're kind of on the cusp there of uh you you kind of losing patience with me but uh but you know we made it through and you you taught me something today like we like you've been in uh each week the saddest part is is uh my patience was only lost because you didn't know what fraggle rock was fraggle rock i Maybe I've heard it. I I don't know, man. I I'm just I'm we, gonna have to we, go back. You, you need to watch that show, and and we'll report back next week. Okay, that'll be my homework assignment for next week. And but At the I, very I'm just gonna least, say, just watch the first episode. The first, all right. Fraggle Rock. I'm sure I can find it somewhere. Fraggle Rock. First episode. You know, I'm sure this is on my wife has watched. She knows. She knows way more stuff about everything than I do. So she's probably gonna look at me and and give me lots of crap for it. But anyway, um. So Dixon, thank you again for your insight, your knowledge, uh, your exceptional musical prowess. Um, if you want to check out the entire playlist from 1983. Um, and listen to a lot of the songs, some of them that we didn't even cover in the podcast today. Again, 95x.com slash Roots of Alternative. You can get that list and uh, also check out all of our past episodes. So Dixon, it was a pleasure, my friend. I'll talk to you next week where we check out 1984. Oh, and that's a big year too. All right, my friend, take care. I will talk to you next week. See you, dude. All right, and this has been the Roots of Alternative podcast for 95X. Thank you.